0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The David Pakman Show, Media Matters, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, The Progressive, Jim Hightower, and The Rachel Maddow Show with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Young Turks.
1: You understand what I'm saying here about... The Republican Party—they are so off the rails. Newt Gingrich, yesterday, said that his Secretary of State is already picking his cabinet members. Uh, There is some confusion. It's—it's probably not illegal for him to do this, because it's—it's illegal if you do it to um, try and get their endorsement. Unfortunately, no one cares about John Bolton's endorsement. Um it's actually he's just trying to convince Republican voters. Newt Gingrich is, is that he's one of them. Now, if you said to Republican voters, I want to appoint the greatest, perhaps one of the most prominent, well known neocons, as my Secretary of State, my guess is is that Republican voters, because now they've been told, like, oh, neocons, bad, bad neocons, without a concept of what the ideology is. This would be a liability for Gingrich. But because they know that John Bolton is a favorite of Fox and sane people think John Bolton's insane, Newt Gingrich embraces him because the Republican voter has no concept of policy so newt gingrich uh... is a guy who can go into a mansion back in two thousand seven a mansion an estate in richmond and because he has the ability to make this type of joke about liberals republicans love him and that's why they're supporting
2: him. i want to thank the cox family for inviting us into their home it's a wonderful thing you would do this for us we're all very, very grateful. I think any time you can visit a starter home like this... <laughs> you know, it's uh, if you're a conservative, you come into a home like this and you think to yourself, what a great country. People can work hard, they can save their money, they can create new jobs, and as a result, they can live in a very nice home. If you're a liberal, you walk in here and you think, public housing for 40 families. And that's the beginning of the core difference. That's
1: the beginning of the core difference. Conservatives see a mansion and say, yeah. Liberals see a mansion and say, hey, wow, there's a lot of homeless people. And that could actually provide some shelter for them. They suck liberals. And that's why Newt Gingrich is atop the polls. The reason why he's twenty-three points ahead in most of those South States, maybe twenty-eight in Florida, twenty three, I think, in North Carolina, uh is because down in the South, the Southern Christians, I'll say it again. They look at Mitt Romney and see devil worshiper, and I don't know why the corporate media won't cop to that. But that is the reality. They just won't believe it. But that's the reality, and um, it just—it's just. It's just I've been saying this for years, folks, but it's so now obvious, I think, even to the most casual viewer, the Republican Party is a party of insane people. We just get confused because there's so many of them.
3: I
4: you, my
2: shut your face again, miracles will happen as we pray, happen as we speak, will happen as we
4: speak.
3: I thought we should take a look back, since Newt Gingrich now is a, a presumptive uh, top tier candidate for the Republican nomination at some of his most outlandish positions, because I think Lewis that it, uh, something about that smile of, of Newt Gingrich is, always makes me laugh. people are kind of assuming Newt Gingrich is the steady calm option rational option among the Republicans and while I agree he 'd be a great debater uh, against Obama or at least better than Romney, I think. Um, he's not a, a kind of vanilla, very standard proposal type guy. He has a number of skeletons in his closet that hopefully people will see as skeletons. I don't know. Are we are we going to list
5: some of those? Did you want me to, or should I just allude to them? No, no, no. I think we should be very specific.
3: Well, in 1981, to give you an, to give you a specific example, Lewis Gingrich co-sponsored a measure in the House to provide for therapeutic uses of marijuana in situations where it's life threatening or sense-threatening illness. And a year later, he actually went and wrote a letter to the Journal of the American Medical Association reiterating that he has this view. We believe licensed physicians are competent to employ marijuana, right? And then in 1995, 14, 13, 14 years later, he proposes the death penalty for those involved in the drug trade. The death penalty drawing a parallel to the kind of draconian policies of singapore and malaysia we want to stop all drug traffic said gingrich in nineteen ninety five if you bring in a commercial quantity of illegal drugs we will execute you what do you make of this, Lewis? None, this is not being mentioned very much yet. Hopefully, this is one of many issues that will be brought up because Gingrich appearing to be the consistent guy, whereas Romney is a flip flopper. Gingrich has had some pretty severe flip flops. Yes to medical marijuana, to execute people involved in the drug trade. Well,
5: okay, you're not going to like this, but I wouldn't call that a flip flop.
3: Right. Let, let me let me guess, Lewis medical marijuana is completely separate than illegal trafficking of of hard drugs
5: well when you're talking about the illegal trafficking of hard drugs you're not just talking about the drugs themselves and the people who are going to use them you, you, it's it's huge right what, what is encompassed in that uh, all the crime involved all the things that happen so right i can see where he's coming from on these two ends but to to say that you're gonna execute everyone who brings in uh, a commercial quantity of illegal drugs is obviously insane there's
3: another thing you're forgetting though to say that you're for medicinal marijuana in nineteen eighty one and then to now be completely exempt from even any having to answer any questions about that in the current campaign also doesn't make sense let's start asking you the questions right he's
5: uh, well hopefully if he becomes the nominee yeah uh... (laughs) We'll start hearing those questions. Hopefully, we will.
3: In 2005, Gingrich called for universal but confidential DNA testing as part of healthcare reform, where you would have to have DNA tests to qualify for uh, certain types of care, uh, as as reported by a South Carolina newspaper. And um, then in 2005, he suggested, after the Ward Churchill affair, that tenure should be abolished completely at state universities. Just get rid of it altogether. 2006, he suggested the U.S. should pursue counterterrorism strategy that would curtail terrorists' free speech rights, predicting a serious debate about the First Amendment. Yeah, he's right; it would have created quite a debate. I'll say. And in 2009, in the speech to APAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, uh, he declared that an electromagnetic uh, pulse, an EMP. Attack would be the greatest threat to u s national security, and he cites that he got this idea from a fictional thriller to bolster the case. He said his friend Bill Forstian writes about this in a fictional novel, a thriller, and he says that that is clearly a serious the most serious terrorist a uh, 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 national security threat that
5: we need to look at right because uh, when uh when someone from al-qaeda wants to deal massive damage to the u.s. they're gonna they're going to use an EMP and knock out our phones and computers for for 24 hours, right? And in 2010 Gingrich argued that the US should not allow the
3: construction of the infamous Ground Zero mosque, as I call it, the Lower Manhattan Interface, Interfaith and Muslim Community Center. There should be no mosque near Ground Zero in New York so long as there are no churches or synagogues in Saudi Arabia. The time for double standards that allow Islamists to behave aggressively towards us while they demand our weakness and submission is over. Right, because it makes sense to do the same thing Saudi Arabia does. It makes sense to play eye for an eye because we're we're just like Saudi Arabia knew is that that does that really makes sense?
5: Yeah, and we can we can go back into the first amendment here too. And then most
3: recently in an appearance at Harvard he challenged child labor laws saying, you know, it might be really good to replace the master janitor at schools with little kids, uh, so they could they could be janitors and and start earning some money. That was also another one of his ideas. Mm-hmm. So Newt Gingrich certainly, and this is just this is just the tip of the iceberg, really. Certainly, his fair share of of stuff that we should be looking at.
6: This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tori Brown. The hosts of Fox and Friends interviewed the chairpersons of the Democratic and Republican National Committees. Here's how they treated Democratic Chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz.
7: Is this the worst nightmare for Democrats that Mitt Romney walks away with a win in Iowa because you have spent most of your time attacking only Mitt Romney? I guess my question is, how can it not be bad news for you that Mitt Romney wins Iowa? Because 10 days ago, nobody thought he was going to win this thing. (laughs) Tough stuff.
6: And this is how they treated Republican Chairman Reince Priebus. We're going to highlight some of
1: the material you're talking about. These are some of the failed promises of the President of the United States. Number five, a la the top five list, the $4 trillion flip-flop. What is that?
6: can you hear the difference
8: president obama uh, went on 60 minutes on Sunday night and they talked about the republican field a little bit his chances uh, I wanna show you some of those clips let's start with clip 6 uh, and
0: this is actually very encouraging let's watch the problem is is that our politics has gotten to the point where we can't have an honest conversation about uh, the greatest in- income inequality since the 1920s, and we can't have an honest conversation about the irresponsibility that resulted in the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression without somebody saying uh, that somehow uh, we're being divisive. No, we're being honest about what happened, and we've got to be honest about how we move forward.
8: Look, th- that's exactly the right language, encouraging to hear. You know me. I wish he'd acted upon that rather than just talked about it. But uh, but at least he's on the right track uh, rhetorically as we go into the campaign. Look, again, every day I'm scared to death now that Newt Gingrich is going to win. So, I mean, this is exactly what President Obama wanted, and this is what he's getting. So, as I hear him at least saying the right things, and I see the alternative in Newt Gingrich, well, <laughs> I- you know, as he knows, you wind up pulling for Obama uh, at least in terms of this election. Uh, let's cl- continue with clip seven.
7: I, I, I'm being judged against the ideal, uh,
0: and you know Joe Biden has a good expression. He says, uh, "Don't judge me against the Almighty; judge me against the alternative."
8: And that right there is exactly President Obama's reelection strategy. I might suck, but they suck much worse, and unfortunately. He's totally right about that, right? I I do judge him against the ideal. He pro- be, and I don't mean ideal as in like, oh my God, it's everything that I wanted. But I mean the ideal that he laid out in the two thousand and eight campaign, where he said he would change the way that Washington works. I don't think he made a real effort at that, and I think that it w- the practical consequences of his, his administration have been wildly mediocre. But as I see the beast that lurks in the Republican primaries. Well, obviously, Obama's much better than that alternative, which sucks for us that those are our two choices, and it's, I guess, great for Obama that those are our two choices. I wish we had a better one, but given those two choices, unfortunately, President Obama's right, we're going to have to go with the lesser of two evils, and especially if it's Newt Gingrich, in a contest of lesser of two evils, well, you're never going to get more evil than Gingrich, unless he was running against Dick Cheney, which would be interesting.
9: What doesn't always have a shape Almost never does it have a name Maybe it has a pitchfork, maybe it has a tail But evil is alive and well
0: $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
9: blood its teeth, smoke fills skies and bees in the well, and evil is alive well.
1: Welcome to a new year filled with fresh and vivid reminders of your own mortality. This is the Onion Week in Review. President Obama openly asked the nation this week why on earth he would want to serve for another term. Citing idiotic questions about his birth certificate, overt racism, partisan rancor, a hopeless economy, Eric Cantor, and the existence of people who literally want to shoot him dead, Obama asked a crowd of supporters to give him one, just one, reason for seeking re-election. As of Friday, Beltway insiders are responding favorably to
3: this new, impassioned Obama, saying he reminds them of the Obama of old, before a nonsensical political system and insane populace tore away his humanity and left him for dead.
9: The Republican presidential race has been a bad circus act, with one candidate after another falling off the trapeze. From Michelle Bachman to Herman Cain to Rick Perry, it's just been a giant sideshow. Tim Pawlenty was the only one with the self-knowledge to drop out when it became obvious he wasn't going anywhere. Every time John Huntsman starts a sentence with the phrase, when I'm president, you almost have to laugh. It's always seemed to me that Mitt Romney was the most seasoned of the bunch and the one that would give President Obama the hardest time. So if Republicans had any sense... Romney was the obvious choice, but how much sense do Republican voters have? We'll find out in a matter of days whether Ron Paul's racism has any effect on him, and we'll find out whether Gingrich has any future other than a pompous pontificator. My money's still on Romney, though, and I imagine you'll see him racking up one major endorsement after another, as he did with George Bush Sr. just the other day. And if it is Romney against Obama, it'll be close. Too close to call, too close for comfort. I'm Matt Rothschild. And that's how I see it.
3: here's an interesting strategy on the obama side the obama campaign is collecting republican emails and they're doing it in a pretty funny way which is that they set up when you donate to obama there's a little thing that pops up and it says we're giving you a chance for the holiday season to have a little fun at the expense of a republican in your life by letting them know you inspired them to donate to the obama campaign so after your donation you can put in the emails of your republican friends and then they'll get an email kind of like a christmas card type thing saying i'm sure it's just a holiday card don't worry saying you inspired your friend you know uh louis motomedy for example to donate to me but this actually could be really good strategy because most campaigns only collect the emails of supporters or people that it's at some point have supported their party or that they have some reason to think would support them in the future but if you knew that you had a whole section in your email list that was Republicans who who are not didn't support you probably won't, you can still try to tailor emails to them in a particular way, and Obama has some pretty good wordsmiths. It, it could actually be great strategy.
5: It's a brilliant strategy. Even even if you you sway ten voters, it's worth it. I mean, let's say he were to put information in the email about taxes. Right. Well, the, the way to do it would be find out what your issue
3: is that you're the weakest on with Republicans, and well, send an email specifically about that.
5: That's one way. But look, look back at the last election. Uh, taxes were, was one of the biggest issues. Yeah. And the vast majority of uh, McCain voters were under the impression that they were going to get a bigger tax break under McCain
3: than Obama, right? Uh,
5: which was not true. And so I think if you were to put details very specific details in his emails about what he plans to do and how he plans to help the middle class and so on. Uh it could work like a charm. Yeah, I mean you
3: wouldn't necessarily if you had a, if you had one list and it was all Obama supporters. You wouldn't send out an email with the heading the subject uh I will lower your taxes more then or, or you wouldn't even really address lowering of taxes in that directive away because it's a different it's a different constituency if you know you're emailing just republicans and the number one misconception they have about your policy is that you raise taxes you send the email out saying i will lower your taxes from barack obama and hopefully you pick off some some republican support that way
5: yeah i mean they there's certainly you're not certainly not going to lose any votes by some by people
3: this. saying that this is actually not uh, in, in compliance with the CAN-SPAM laws, because the people who you are adding, the Republican friends you are adding, have not opted in to receiving those emails from the Obama campaign. Uh, you know, I don't know for sure, but that may only trigger an email, which you then have to opt into. I'm not sure. I, I would assume that they're not breaking any laws by doing this.
5: Right. If it's a one-time email, um, which gives you the option of subscribing, that that would probably be okay. I think it probably would. I, yeah. I think so. I don't know.
10: This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. It's 2012 and Fox News is still the go-to channel for the Republican Party. In addition to providing GOP presidential hopefuls with softball interviews, the right-wing channel regularly hosts contributors to offer free advice to the candidates. Here's former half-term governor Sarah Palin discussing the Republican primary with Sean Hannity. The GOP nominee has got to just um just uh, do all that they can to Um, speak truth and to help educate the voters about who Barack Hussein Obama is.
5: 2012, the year to defeat Obama and save America. I'm saying it every day on my radio show.
10: And as Media Matters has noted, Fox has shifted further to the right in the past couple of years, manifested in its blind support for the Tea Party movement. You look at what's happening in the House of Representatives, those members that were swept in in 2010, they're really driving a lot of the policy in Washington. And thank God they
4: are.
8: Newt Gingrich, uh, at the end of last week, called the Palestinian people, quote, an invented people. He said that while talking to the Jewish channel. And uh, that essentially uh, denies that they have a right to a state because. They're invented. They're not even a people, according to Newt Gingrich. Uh, He was asked about that during the debate, and he had this horrific answer.
2: Is what I said factually correct? Yes. Is it historically true? Yes. Are we in a situation where every day rockets are fired into Israel while the United States, the current administration, tries to pressure the Israelis into a peace process? Hamas does not admit the, the right of Israel to exist and says publicly not a single Jew will remain. The Palestinian Authority ambassador to India said last month, there is no difference between Fatah and Hamas. We both agree Israel has no right to exist. Somebody ought to have the courage to tell the truth. These people are terrorists. They teach terrorism in their schools. They have textbooks that say if there are 13 Jews and nine Jews are killed, how many Jews are left? We pay for those textbooks through our aid money. It's fundamentally time for somebody to have the guts to stand up and say, enough lying about the Middle East.
8: It makes me sick to my stomach how much they applauded that. He just basically said, Fatah, Hamas, he listed all the Palestinian groups and then said they are all terrorists. So all the Palestinians are terrorists, according to Newt Gingrich, who's leading the field among the Republican uh, candidates. That is atrocious to label a whole group of people terrorists. Uh, And he says, well, you have to understand, uh, I'm historically correct about them being an invented people. The idea of a Palestine or Palestinians apparently did not exist except it's not historically accurate at all. In fact, it's one of the most historically inaccurate things I've ever heard in my life. If you go back, Herodotus, the Greek historian, talked about the Palestinians in in, in 5th century BC. In 2nd century AD, the Romans had coins with the word Palestine on it. They've been talking about Palestine and Palestinians for as long as history has been around. You know, the Philistines in the Bible, those are the Palestinians. To say that they're invented, are you saying that a part of the Bible is invented? I mean, you can go on and on. What else do we have? We have, in in 1834, there was a talk of an, an Arab revolt in Palestine, where the Palestinians revolted. I can go back all the way back to fifth century B.C. I can come back as early as you want. But he's so pompous, and he he lies with such ease. Well, oh yes, you have to understand. I'm a historian, and in Indian history, there has been no Palestinians. as an invented piece of people. You have to understand that. No, what, the only thing I understand is what a grotesque liar you are, and how much you would hurt the peace process if you were to be elected president of the United States. Which, unfortunately, right now you stand a decent chance of of getting to that place. In fact, former ambassador to Israel, Martin indig U.S. ambassador to Israel, said that that this is terrible, not just for the peace process. But it means you're not even pro-Israel. He said, uh because the government of Israel under Prime Minister Netanyahu supports a two-state solution, the people of Israel, an overwhelming majority of them, support a two-state solution in which there would be an independent Palestinian state living in peace alongside a secure state of Israel. He said Newt Gingrich is not is not pro-Israel at all if he has this stance. Obviously, the leadership of the Palestinians couldn't agree more. Prime Minister Salam Fayyad said uh, it is extremely trivial, demeaning, and ridiculous. He uh, said even the most extremist settlers of Israel wouldn't talk in such a ridiculous way. And it's absolutely true. Newt Gingrich is uh, just abhorrent on this issue and would hurt Israel, the Palestinians, and the peace process, and U.S. foreign policy. This is as extreme as anything we've ever seen. Even George W. Bush was for a two-state solution. And asked to explain it today, his spokesperson came out and said, yes, he meant it, but you have to understand that uh, he has, quote, uh, you have to understand decades of complex history. Yeah, none of you are smart enough to understand history. We are the historians in the new Gingrich campaign even though we don't know a goddamn thing about history. We just run off at the mouth, say the most extreme thing possible so we can get these Republican primary voters that are foaming at the mouth to applaud wildly so we can win the Republican primary. That's his objective. And if he wins the presidency, it is a scary scary thing.
1: I guess we should do one thing from the uh clown car debate. And you know, Newt Gingrich still rolling on to be quipper in chief. Full
3: of quips. And he's standing by his children janitors uh stance.
1: Standing by his children janitor stance. Uh standing by his uh Palestinians were an invented people stance, whatever that means. Um I know that, of course, the American people have existed as American people since um, essentially uh, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I think Adam—I got—I got to double check in the Bible—but I think Adam, when they got kicked out of the Garden, he became an American because he wasn't the one who bit the apple. So, because of his high moral standing, he was the first American. But I also presume, actually, but he didn't become an event. I don't want to imply that he was an invented American. He was American when he was born. It's just that when they were in the Garden of Eden, America wasn't born yet. So, what happened in the Bible, for those of you who are not aware, according to uh, the Lord our Savior, Newt Gingrich, Adam was an American. But America did not exist until he was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. That's where he went. Because of, you know, that creation out of his rib or Eve, because women can't be trusted. No duh. So, Americans were the only real people. And then, like everybody, I guess, from like Africa came from Eve. Is why they had to go through that whole slavery thing. So, and then because only America and Africa, not Europe, were non invented people, although Europe also. Adam had a cousin. He was European before Europe existed, and then it existed after they came out. So they're non-invented people. Uh but of course Palestinians invented. I hope that explains it for you. Uh because I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, people don't appreciate but new he always gives the short answer.
3: Where do the people of Israel come into all this?
1: Israel, they were of course the uh Israelites um, that that was not a non-god invented
3: that. He just poof and they were there.
1: Yes, on the hello on the first day of creation. Got it. Right after Adam and Eve. So Adam was also Israeli. He was American Israeli. He had dual citizenship and they were waiting for Israel and America. So that's it. Newt Gingrich's Palestinian uh people in are invented people um statement explained okay and anybody who disagrees with me is anti-american or anti-semitic and i will take your names down
9: Good news on the Citizens United front. On Wednesday, the New York City Council voted to urge Congress to pass a constitutional amendment overturning the horrendous Citizens United decision. You know, the one that the Supreme Court handed down two years ago that says corporations are persons and can spend as much money as they want to elect this candidate or defeat that one. New York joins L.A. and a few smaller city and county boards in denouncing Citizens United as the threat to democracy that it is. Then out in Montana, the state Supreme Court there just defied the U.S. Supreme Court by upholding a century-old law banning corporate spending in state and local races. This sets up a collision with the Roberts Court at some point, and we can only hope that by then one of the conservatives on the court will be gone and replaced by a liberal. But I'm not betting on that far better to amend the Constitution so that whoever sits on the Supreme Court, corporations will be banned from buying elections. So get your city or town to go on record for this constitutional amendment. Let's follow New York and L.A. and build this movement for real democracy in America. I'm Matt Rothschild and that's how I see it.
7: build them, unify us, make us feel proud, in the streets our heads are lifting, as we lose our inhibition, celebration, it surrounds us, every nation, all around us, singing forever young, singing songs of a new song, let's
4: rejoice in the beautiful game, and together at the end of the day.
7: When I get older, I will be stronger. They'll call me freedom. The powers that be constantly try to pull the wool over people's eyes. But sometimes the wool blinders are so itchy that people rip them off and clearly see the scam. One of the itchiest ever is the Kafkaesque fiction put forth by America's right-wing power establishment that corporations are persons with the constitutional right to control our elections with their bottomless troves of corporate cash. This is an absurd perversion of nature itself. A person, after all, has a navel. Where's the corporate navel? Or its heart, brain, or soul? Also, if a corporation is a person, shouldn't it be subject to frontline military duty? to jail for its criminal violations, and even to the death penalty? As a listener pointed out to me in a recent email, many states do not allow persons under 18 years of age to marry, or, in corporate terminology, to merge. Plus, such young persons are subject to curfews and cannot legally be served alcohol. If you see a young corporation violating any of these teen laws, call the cops on them. When a corporate and governmental cabal makes such a power play that the very idea of it becomes a national joke, both the idea and the cabal are in trouble. That's the case with a comical claim of personhood for corporations. All across the country, beneath the radar of America's clueless elites, a savvy and scrappy grassroots coalition is mobilizing to overturn the anti-democratic effort by the Supreme Court, corporate front groups, and political sellouts to enthrone corporate money over the people. On January 20th and 21st, there will be two national days of action to rally public support for a constitutional amendment to reject the farce of corporate personhood. This is Jim Hightower saying, to join the rebellion, connect with www.movetoamend.org and www.democracyisforpeople.org.
6: I have learned that it is very important to people here in New Hampshire that we all describe their presidential primary as first in the nation. First. First, first, first. And it is the first primary. But awkward as it is to bring this up while you're here um, in New Hampshire. Uh, Before this comes something called Iowa. The Iowa caucuses... Um, Those are before this. And the most interesting thing about Iowa this year is that the Iowa caucuses were almost unbelievably close. Close, close, close. At one point, way after midnight on Tuesday night, when Rick Santorum was leading the count by about 10 votes or so, Romney headquarters became concerned that they were not seeing full results from Clinton County, Iowa. Clinton County in the eastern part of the state, right along the Mississippi River, a Romney-leaning county that appeared to be missing some returns. A woman named Edith Pfeffer is chairwoman of the Republican Party in Clinton County, Iowa. When the Romney campaign could not figure out what was going on with the returns from that county, they tried to get Ms. Pfeffer on the phone. By the time CNN got Edith Pfeffer on the line, Senator Santorum's lead was down from what had been 100 or so votes earlier uh, to only four votes.
4: How many precincts are there in Clinton County? There are 30 precincts. And Of all 30, as far as you know, reported? Oh, yes. Every single one. Every single one. Now, what's the total for Clinton County, Romney, Santorum, Paul?
10: Oh, God. Oh. Are they crap?
4: I have a double. I. Oh, God, I added them up. I added them up uh, a couple times. I. Oh, man. My I showed Romney coming up with a total of 437 votes. Form Clinton County. Uh Santorum had three hundred and fifty four. Perry has 73.
8: The numbers we're receiving from the state do not match the numbers we just received from the county chairwoman, right here in Clinton County. If these are the what final do you
4: mean
8: numbers, the numbers don't match. Well, I'll, I'll explain it. I'll explain it to you, uh, John. You go ahead and explain it. I'm, the, the, the numbers, Madam Chairwoman, I'm not questioning your numbers. I'm saying the numbers you're giving us now do not match the numbers that the state central committee has reported so far from your county, and they say one precinct is missing. So, if your numbers are that missing precinct and these are the final numbers from clinton county excuse my scribble but 437 not 386 354 not 321 we can stop right there well if that would make romney the winner romney the winner
6: wow what do you mean they don't match And then about 20 minutes later, the state Republican Party in Iowa officially declared Mr. Romney the winner um, by eight votes. Eight votes out of 122,255 cast, which is a margin of 0.007 percent. That's close. Uh, since Mr. Romney was declared the winner by eight votes, um, a caucus worker in Appanoose County, Iowa, says that Mitt Romney was mistakenly awarded 20 extra votes in that county. And if he only won by eight, an extra 20 votes would, of course, mean that he didn't win at all.
11: 28-year-old Edward True helped count the votes and jotted the results down on this piece of paper to post on his Facebook page later. His notes say Mitt Romney received two votes. But according to the Iowa Republican Party's website, True's precinct cast 22 votes for Romney.
4: This is huge. This essentially changes who won.
6: Ultimately, does it matter now who exactly won in Iowa? Is the effect on the ongoing race from here on out materially different if the Rick Santorum-Mitt Romney virtual tie had one of them eight votes up instead of eight votes down? If that result flipped today, would that make a difference for what happens here in New Hampshire or for anywhere else after this? Probably not. Um, and frankly, if the margin were different by not just eight votes, but by 8,000 votes, would that even make that much of a difference? Being a Republican who wins or who almost wins the Iowa presidential caucuses does not seem to win you very much in American politics. Remember Mike Huckabee's big nine-point win in Iowa four years ago? Yeah, he he was pretty much out of the race by March. He picked up some deep south states and Kansas. He was done almost before he was even done basking in Iowa. In 1988, the huge conservative winner in Iowa was televangelist Pat Robertson, who won the Ames-Iowa straw poll and then came in second on caucus night to Bob Dole. By April, he was out of the race. And now he says God told him who's going to win this year. God is giving Pat Robertson betting tips for in-trade. So does maybe not knowing who really won the Republican caucuses in Iowa this year tell you anything important about the standings and the momentum for the rest of this race? No, it does not. Does knowing who won the Republican caucuses in Iowa any year reliably tell you anything important about the standings in the race that year? No. No, it really does not. The only reason it matters that we kind of don't know who won Iowa this year, and we don't know if we'll ever know for certain, is that Republicans have spent their legislative time and energy since the 2010 election screaming from the rafters about their grave concern for the integrity of the vote. The supposed grave and imminent threat to the sanctity of every single vote has, according to Republicans, compelled them, required them, to push new restrictive voter ID laws in states across the country. These voter ID laws potentially block millions of people from voting at all by requiring new ID and by making it really hard to register but the Republican line is that it's worth restricting the vote to ensure the integrity of elections integrity and then in the first contest of the year a Republican only event run by the Republican Party Republicans cannot be bothered to figure out how to count their own votes and to figure out who actually won that's how devoted they are to the integrity of every vote Busted.
7: it
10: This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Meredith Ritchie. One of the recurring lies on Fox News is that their primetime opinion shows are completely separate from the straight news division, which is supposedly the fair and balanced part of Fox News. Last night, Sean Hannity argued that the recent attacks on Mitt Romney actually make him a stronger nominee. Fox News reporter Todd Starnes agreed, but listen closely to which pronoun Starnes uses to refer to Republicans.
8: Absolutely, and and you know, if you believe the mainstream media, the the Republican Party is divided. We're not divided. Uh, Folks are just trying to figure out who their candidate is.
10: Did you hear that? He referred to Republicans as we, and he does it again in the next sentence.
8: I think we're going to come out of this stronger, and I I think the
7: Republicans are going to have a strong candidate. And I believe evangelical Christians are eventually going to get behind Romney if, in fact, he's the nominee.
6: Michelle Bachman today implied that the media's coverage of her campaign is sexist. The candidate told a rally in New Hampshire that she believes that as a crazy woman, she's had to deal with scrutiny she would not face if she were a crazy man. Let's ask our first responders and see what they think. Joining us today, we have Duncan Birch, Laura Lee Hickok, and David Beardale, whose opinions are sponsored by Acura. Is Bachman treated differently because she's a woman with a frighteningly apparent psychological instability? Oh, I no, don't think no. there's
11: any question. Re- Laura Lee? You know, every really? time she says something that's objectively bizarre about how God told her to adopt two dozen children or how same-sex marriage is the number one threat to this country, the press jumps down they, her throat. They now, they do. would not they be do. doing that to Mitt Romney if Mitt Romney were visibly deranged. I, I, I don't
0: buy this for a second. Oh, now, come if, on. If, if an insane male candidate said that Obama was responsible for swine flu, people would be... Uh, uh, you You know, they would
7: be just as terrified.
1: Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Look, she needs to start running a powerful, responsive V6 of a campaign and stop spending so much time worrying about the media. Exactly. You don't see this accurate TL worried about how it's being treated. I mean, this thing can take almost anything people can throw at it. Well,
6: well, if all this is true, how does Buckman go about throwing off the focus of being uh, an insane female candidate?
11: Oh, she's got to beat her crazy male opponents at their own game. If they're going to come out supporting exactly. gun rights for the developmentally disabled, she should come out supporting gun rights for dogs.
1: Exactly. That is totally accurate, Ed. Uh, Laura Lee. I, uh, 100% Thank accurate.
11: Thank you. Thank you, Okay, you know, when
6: Bachman started running around last week, though, in circles rubbing herself with mud and, and shrieking wildly, the
11: media focused completely on uh, what her hair looked like during right, the Right. But when Herman Cain did the same thing just mm-hmm. a few months ago, yeah. people focused on his insane babblings. Not <laughs> there's a clear double standard. No, that's because his insane babblings were closer political points. Ask for her. Uh, Yes, David.
1: I'm I'm revving this powerful uh, fuel injected engine to show my support for Laura Lee's
6: opinion. Well, that's uh, thank you, first responders.
8: Michelle Bott. disaster for her, she finished at about 6%, Uh, she had put all of her eggs in the Iowa basket and somebody took that basket and smashed it. Now all of her eggs are running out of that basket and uh, she's very uh, sad about it, in fact, uh, let's go to uh, her uh, earlier today, clip 8.
11: So Last night the people of Iowa spoke with a very clear voice and so I have decided to stand aside. And I believe that if we are going to repeal Obamacare, turn our country around, and take back our country, we must do so united.
8: Uh, oh, I see. Okay. Uh, well, look, at least she acknowledged reality for the first time in history, where she said, well, they spoke loud and clear, and they said, I don't want you, Michelle. So, okay, then I'm going to go, right? God bless. That makes sense. Uh, then she went on to explain how uh, she's trying to unite the country while Barack Obama's trying to divide us. And as then she gave an enormously divisive speech about how Barack Obama is a socialist and, uh, and must be fought tooth and nail because uh, his side is totally wrong. In other words, a massively divisive speech. Let me give you a, a quick portion of it here.
11: Mr. Franklin and all the founders, all the men, all the women, who have given their last full measure of devotion in our military, our veterans, are watching us. They're expecting us to stand up and protect what they fought to give us. And so we owe it to them and to our posterity.
8: Yeah, she kept uh, mentioning Benjamin Franklin throughout the speech in like some creepy way. Like She said, I saw this painting in Washington. and It had all of our founding fathers and Benjamin Franklin. And he was looking like, as if he was horrified. And then she connected to Obamacare like Franklin would have flipped out over Obamacare. What are you talking about? Well, I, how could Benjamin Franklin possibly have an opinion on President Obama's health care plan many centuries later? Like, really, you're sure that he would have been a, opposed to that piece of legislation? I mean, if you said he was is against the Defense Authorization Act, which takes away our civil liberties, then I could say, hey, that's logical. I get it. Franklin cared a lot about civil liberties. Franklin cared a lot about which part of Medicare you pay the bills out of? What are you talking Because he has about? a lot of chutzpah. I suppose he does, but you know, I'm not sure how it's related to this. Then she started talking about how I have to fight for freedom. That's why I'm fighting against dodd Frank financial reform. And she was calling, talking about the founding fathers. The founding fathers hated the banks. They were scared to death of the big banks and big money corrupting the process. And she's talking about like Benjamin Franklin would have wanted us to protect the banks against Big Bad Obama. What on God's green earth are you talking about, woman? Here's my favorite part of the Michelle Bachman concession talking about Marcus Bachman. Let's go to clip number 16.
11: I must thank my wonderful husband of 33 years, Marcus Bachman. He is the best campaigner in our family. And yesterday, when we were out on Main Street in Des Moines, uh, he was buying doggy sunglasses for our dog Boomer while we were out visiting all of the many businesses. <laughs> oh
8: man, oh, it's fantastic! I mean, you know, there are all these rumors, for obvious reason, that Marcus Bachman might be of a certain persuasion, and he's out what, shopping for sunglasses for Boomer in the middle of the campaign. Here's what I have to say to Marcus and Michelle Bachman: Bye bye. <laughs> God, they have no sense of what's going on. And then the look on his face like, stop it. (laughs) Well, she did, Marcus. She stopped it. The campaign's over. Go back to your boyfriends.
2: And suddenly that person is gone. They're gone. Gone. They are
11: gone. I tried.
9: The corporate media aren't giving Ron Paul his due. If Newt Gingrich or Rick Santorum or Rick Perry or John Huntsman had done as well as Paul did in both Iowa and New Hampshire, well, the big media would be granting that candidate enormous attention as the obvious contender in the number two spot. But Ron Paul gets no respect. Remember, in Iowa, he got 21% of the vote, coming in just behind Santorum and Romney, who had 24% each. And in New Hampshire, Paul was all alone in second place at 23%, with Santorum tied with Gingrich for fourth place, back at a measly 9%. But still, the media treat Paul as an afterthought. Fox's Chris Wallace set the tone way back in December when he said if Ron Paul won in Iowa, then the results there won't count. It looks like the results in New Hampshire didn't count either because the talking heads were all saying that no number two has surfaced yet, as though Ron Paul wasn't even in the picture. This is the worst kind of candidate picking by the media themselves as opposed to the voters. And by belittling Ron Paul, the pundits may propel him to run as a third-party candidate in the fall. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I
7: see it.
10: This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. On Tuesday, Fox & Friends interviewed American Values President Gary Bauer about his support for GOP presidential candidate Rick Santorum. Co-host Gretchen Carlson showed a clip of Santorum being booed during a forum at New England College and asked Bauer why he was being booed. I suspect, or at least I've read, that the booing was because, shock of all shocks, he thinks marriage should be between a man and a woman
3: that's what of course for several thousand years marriage has been the boors aren't offering much uh, to the debate L- look the overwhelming majority of the american people think that marriage is between a man and a woman
10: if gretchen carlson had bothered to fact check her guests she would have noted that multiple polls conducted in two thousand eleven actually show that a majority of americans favor legalizing gay marriage but that would be assuming fox news is a real journalistic enterprise
7: In Iowa's presidential scramble, the biggest players were not the candidates, but an insidious, ever-growing force that voters couldn't even see. Corporate cash. Welcome to the brave new political world created out of thin air by the Supreme Court two years ago. In their now infamous Citizens United decision, the court's five-man majority of laissez-faire ideologues decreed that corporations can funnel unlimited sums of money into nondescript independent electioneering committees, dubbed super PACs. These outfits are then free to bombard voters with nonstop attack ads to defeat candidates they don't like. In Iowa, an unprecedented $12.5 million went into the campaigns. Two-thirds of that was spent not by the candidates, but by these super PACs. The court theorized that super PACs would operate entirely independently from their favored candidates. What a fantasy! In fact, the candidates themselves had dispatched their top staffers and millionaire funders to create and run super PACs on their behalf. So separation is a legalistic fraud. Second, although they operate under such benign names as Romney's Restore Our Future PAC and Perry's Make Us Great Again PAC, these conduits of corporate money have become the nuclear bombs of viciously negative campaigning, sliming opponents with attacks. The Supremes also theorize that super PACs would report the names of their donors, but, surprise, most are refusing to do so. This is Jim Hightower saying, So... By hurling the Citizens United monkey wrench into America's democratic machinery, the court has put secret corporate money in charge of our elections. Let's stop this thievery. To help repeal Citizens United, go to unitedforthepeople.org. That's united, the number four, thepeople.org.
1: a sad commentary you know how mtv has been doing choose or lose for 20 years in other words if you don't vote you're gonna lose well they're changing the name of its election season uh, campaign coverage to power of twelve in part because uh, while young people turned out in unusually high numbers to support Barack Obama in 2008, MTV's research into "Choose or Lose" found that many felt they had lost anyway. Do you understand that? That MTV, which takes these use these huge market research to do anything, have now basically said we cannot tell young people that you lose if you don't vote. And only if you don't vote. Because it turns out that many of them now feel that even though they voted, they still lost. And not because their guy didn't win. This is the saddest commentary on Obama. Period. Bar none. That you had millions, maybe? Close to? Of young people engaged and excited about politics, not just for the first time in their lives, but in within generations of, of voting that young people just usually aren't this inspired, and the whole experience just made them cynical enough that companies marketing to them had to take notice of that. I think Occupy Wall Street is a big uh, function. Of that response When we've spoken to young people down there in particular, unsolicited, they have this response of like, "We cannot rely on Obama, and I realize that now." And that's probably healthy, but it's also a very, very sad commentary. They were so passionate, Stephen K. Friedman, President of MTV, and then they hit this wall of the economy. I think it wasn't just the economy. We felt like it no longer truly represented the complexity and the issues that face our audience. A recent poll by the Pew Research found that 18 to 29 year olds were backing Mr. Obama more than any other demographic group, yet they were also paying less attention to the campaign than any other. That's how I feel. I was telling somebody the other day that the, one of the best things about Occupy Wall Street is it makes me feel less concerned about voting for Obama because I I feel that there that that is not going to be the end of the story that there is a broader awareness by people who share a notion of social justice and that the commons belong to the people that it's not enough to vote for somebody and then go to sleep and frankly my concern aside from the horrible horridness that a republican administration would bring in is that contrary to the belief of those who say uh... we need things to get really bad before the american public uh, reacts my experience during the bush administration was that, uh... it was easy to be in opposition uh... to bush and not necessarily be in favor of genuine uh... Progressive or social justice or uh, economic justice issues. And uh, that's become increasingly clear. So um, I want my MTV, <laughs> but I just, uh, it's not going to be choose or lose this year. Because apparently you can choose and still lose.
4: Hi Jay, it's Tim from Quince, Illinois I'm calling in regards to uh, the commentary you had At the end of the Pottersville episode I believe it was the last episode In which you discussed uh, Your island theory About libertarianism and communism And while I agree with you In large part I think the point that would need to be addressed On that would be Continuing generations Uh, Sure, if everyone That agreed with it went to those islands and lived under a libertarian or communist rule by virtue of their own choice, it's one thing. But life will happen and future lives will be born into that situation. I'm just wondering how, what you would think the viability of a long-term society in either one of those scenarios would be going forward. Love the podcast, listen to every one of them. Thank you for what you do, and look forward to all your podcasts.
1: Bye-bye. Hi, Jay.
9: This is Jim in the United Arab Emirates. Please share with us uh, what your needs are and uh, in order to take the podcast into the future. Uh, I would like pretty much everything you've done this year. And as an American living in the Middle East, I appreciate uh, the unfiltered opinions and the insight that Best of the Left provides. I'm also aware that there's a need to support some key liberal causes in 2012, like the uh, recalls Walker Campaign in Wisconsin, uh, Act Blue, Progressives United, and and others. So I'd like to hear from you your thoughts on how additional funding for Best of the Left can advance the the liberal cause. Thanks, Jay, for a great program, and have a lovely New Year.
4: Hey, Jay, this is Colin, the uh, Union Construction Worker from Cleveland. Right now I'm working on a project uh, replacing a bridge through the heart of Cleveland. It's one of the biggest projects in uh, our history here in the state. And as I'm sitting here in the morning before work, it's still dark out. I'm looking at the skyline, and I realize that I've never noticed before, but with the exception of one building, all the buildings downtown have banks' names on top of them. One is a phone company, and the other nine signs are all banks. And it just kind of amazes me that that kind of creeped up and happened, and I never noticed it, and I'm sure most people haven't noticed it. I think it's just really a sign of the times to maybe wake people up to look at these things and realize that the managers of money are really becoming the managers of our lives. And it's not right. Anyway, I love what you do with the show. Please keep doing it. Take care.
0: thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. There was a great uh, batch of calls today, so I'm just going to respond to those. Uh, First of all, the question about the libertarian island you know, when kids are born, my first reaction to that was completely a joke, but the more I thought about it, I I realized it might only be 80% 80% of a joke or so. I, you know, I, I thought that kids being raised on, uh, on a libertarian or, or a communist island, in, you know in, because obviously kids don't have a choice of where they're raised by their parents, I thought that might have to qualify as child endangerment, the same way that devoutly religious parents refuse all sorts of medical treatments for their kids based on their religious values, and when those kids die, those parents get charged with uh, child endangerment. I don't know. I think I think raising a kid in a libertarian society might have to qualify as being right along those lines. Uh, but speaking of libertarians, I, I honestly I did not think of this during or before uh, the commentary I, I posted on the most recent show about my friend who had the uh, emergency surgery and didn't have health insurance. You know, but a- after I posted that, I realized, I thought, oh, you know, I bet that uh, you know because the libertarian worldview says that. In a situation like this, medical bills that can't be paid uh, either by insurance or out of personal funds, then charity should pick up the slack on that. And so I'll I bet that I'll get a slew of calls from libertarians asking how they can donate to uh, to my friend's uh, medical bills and. Now believe me, I'm well – I've been a podcaster for a long time. I'm well aware that less than half of the people who will eventually hear that episode have heard it by now, only three days after it's posted. But to date, I have not heard from any libertarians offering uh, to, to donate any money to the, the uh, healthcare bills uh, for the story I told. And if I do hear from any of those people, I will certainly let you know. Secondly, uh, thanks to Jim for, for calling in asking how – what kind of support the show needs this year. Uh, Jim, he he was also mentioning that he uh, was renewing his membership for the third year now. And uh, so huge thanks to him for doing that. But as you heard, he was calling from the United Arab Emirates and the connection wasn't great. So I, I cut the part about his membership. Uh, but let me just say that 2012 – I believe is going to be a gigantic year for uh, best of the left and progressive media in general. So you know, last year, the, the biggest thing that happened last year for, for this show was implementing the really powerful social media tools that allowed the listeners to really engage in a way that had never been possible before to, so that you could actually step up and help amplify the message of the show So if implementing the social media into the website last year was like upgrading from a bicycle to a go-kart, then I think that what I haven't planned in store for this year will be like going from the go-kart to a race car. And, and so I'm just really excited about it. It's uh, very much in the, in the planning stages and, and we'll see what comes of that, but, but that should definitely be happening this year. And uh, in terms of progressive media in general, I, I absolutely have plans to completely revolutionize all progressive media personally. I mean like I personally – and a couple of friends are planning on revolutionizing progressive media. So, uh, and, and that that is making its way just past the planning stages now. So we're, we're making progress on that. Stay tuned. Uh, it's, that should all be happening in 2012. It's going to be big. And then finally, about downtown Cleveland and all the bank signs that, that are uh, up on buildings, I not infrequently will mention to people that the worst named, you know, corporate named sports stadium or arena that i have ever heard of is in downtown cleveland the quicken loans arena and because I, I drove across the country a few years ago including one night stayed in cleveland and i i, I just i quicken loans arena you've got to be kidding me i, I I'm staunchly opposed to corporate named stadiums anyways and I don't even follow sports anymore. I you know I haven't since I was you know 12 years old but uh but just on principle I ha- I hate the corporate named stadiums and Quicken Loans I mean it's not just Quicken and it's not like I think Intuit or something might be the parent company of Quicken. It, it's it's Quicken Loans. That would be like me paying for the naming rights to an arena and calling it Best of the Left, Communist Level Membership Arena. You know, it's like uh, it, it's it's baffling and and saddening. And uh, if I cared more, I would I, I would boycott every company that pays for the naming rights to any stadium as my protest to the whole act of naming stadiums after uh, after banks and all sorts of corporations like that so yeah um, poor Cleveland it's a it turns out it's a very it's a lovely downtown and the hotel I stayed at was uh, had one of the most comfortable beds I've ever stayed in in my life but Yeah, uh, bank names on the buildings, unfortunate. So uh, speaking of membership levels, though, I do, of course, want to thank a couple of members before I go. David D. signed up for a leftist yearly membership starting back on January 5th of last year and just had his membership renewed. So uh, thanks to David for that. And Howard F. signed up for a socialist monthly membership on April 6th and has stuck with the show ever since then, month after month. So huge thanks to David and Howard and all the members and donors who helped keep the show going. I couldn't do it without you. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word about individual clips you particularly like through the very powerful and convenient social networking buttons uh, located in the show notes of each episode.
4: Upon a picture that wasn't right. Bitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you wanna meet. A dining and a living room. The shadow bases the floor We'll take you out.